It's uh, 8.36. That's it for our 8 o'clock news. We've got Bob coming up with a forecast in uh, just a few minutes. Also, Rich, with uh, local news headlines, one more update. But right now, we have a, a special guest in our studio. It's the uh, one of the co-hosts of Public Policy This Week and longtime contributor to KYMN, Bruce Moreland. Bruce, morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Good, good. We're here to talk about Bruce's busy summer. <laughs> yeah, what I did on my summer vacation, yeah. uh, right out of grade school. <laughs> you you have had a busy summer, uh, being very active in a couple of groups: uh, the Citizens Climate Lobby and also uh, B- uh, Braver Angels. That's right. And you have been to the national. Have they been conventions? What would you call them? Well, that's interesting. Uh, a, a, it turns out that the difference between a convention and a conference is a convention actually passes some kind of a resolution or does something. And so one was a conference and one was a convention. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's start off with uh, Citizens Climate Lobby. That was the That's, first one on the schedule for back, uh, la- that was last month, correct? Right. That was at the beginning of June. We all went out. There were about 890 of us in Washington. Uh, not very well balanced in some sense in that there were a lot more... Uh, uh, blues than reds, Democrats than Republicans. But even so, there's a good Republican presence in the Citizens Climate Lobby. And uh, I used to chair the Conservative Caucus, but I handed that off for reasons having to do with Braver Angels, actually. But at that conference, we learned about three bills that we were going to go and lobby on. We lobbied over 400 and some uh, offices in Congress. I myself lobbied five, uh, including Angie Craig. Uh, our local representative. And we had th- three things we were interested in talking about. We wanted to talk about the earned, uh, or the Energy Innovation Carbon Dividend Act, which is a form of a carbon fee and dividend with a border adjustment. And so it isn't in the Congress right now, but we wanted to kind of set the stage so if it does show up, the members of Congress and their staffs will be aware of what it can do for us and they can get excited about it when we say, hey, it's, it's time to get excited about it. I mean, they're, they're busy people, so uh, it's, it's fun to explain to them what they might see coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. Um, the other major bill that we played with and were pushing was a, uh, what, what we like to call uh, uh, permitting modernization. And that bill is designed to speed up the permitting process. And I like to tell people who are really nervous, you know, they say, well, we got to keep it slow. So we said, no, you got to be able to say no quickly as well as saying yes. And that's the secret of of pushing that as a bill was it would allow us to, you know, compress the amount of time. I mean, a business that wants to do something, if they have to wait five or ten years for the permitting process, that changes the the money dynamic completely, and, and you know they, they become very nervous about starting new things. And one of the things we know, and we saw the analytics on, is that if we're going to solve carbon as a problem, we have got to do more to move power around. We have to put in more transmission lines, and those are almost always blocked uh, by people that don't want them in their backyard, don't want them in their fields. Or whatever, and so we need to be able to say if we can if we can push it through here, we can push it through there. But if not, we need to know quickly so we can look for an alternate route. Uh, Iowa has a lot of solar, or I mean, wind power, and they're having trouble moving it around because the infrastructure just won't support that much energy. 
The third bill, which was just kind of a throw-in, was called the uh, Save the Sequoias Act, and it's just a token. But it turns out that the underbrush, we've been fighting fires for so long in the redwood forests that the undergrowth has reached tree height, and when the canopy of that substructure catches fire, it can reach into the redwood canopy. Normally, the redwood canopy is so far above the ground mm-hmm. that the ground can burn. The trees have thick bark. They're impervious to the flames, but they're not impervious up in the in the canopy. So that was the third bill, and it was, like I said, I, I personally was part of four te- five teams, and uh, we went in and talked about those bills. I saw a really funny cartoon in a Republican's office that showed a farmer talking to a DFL can't, uh, uh, policy guy, and the <laughs> yeah, DFL, where's this going? Yeah, the D, the the DFL guy says, "I can't believe you're not worried about the climate, or talking about the climate." And the farmer, of course, says, "We talk about it all the time." <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, you know, those the th- three bills uh, are those all new? It seems like the first one, the carbon fee and dividend. Uh, that has that's an idea that has been around for a while, but are they adding subtracting things to that? Are they trying to improve it or improve its odds of passing through? Well, they're trying to mostly by keeping it coherent. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right; the carbon fee and dividend has been our, on our plate since day one, like 15 years ago. Uh, so that's and the reason we push it, and this is kind of fun, is it's a very conservative solution. In that it doesn't use, you know, it doesn't make the mistake of trying to pick winners and losers. It just lets the marketplace figure it out. And you remember the 70s when car prices, I mean, when we suddenly went from the big muscle cars to the little Vegas and and all that. It it wasn't because there was a mandate to have smaller cars. It was because the price of gas went up. So the free people confronted with a situation like that make free choices and they feel it's time to look at the the Pintos. So, yeah. Well, you mentioned 15 years they've been at this, and uh, it's still just you're trying to get it heard in Congress. Uh, is yeah. is there any reason for more optimism in 2023, 24? Yes, I think there is. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of conservatives now who are stepping up to that plate. Uh, there's a conservative leadership caucus there are external organizations which are focusing on conservatives and trying to bring the message to Congress that it's not just the Democrats that want to do this. So there is some bipartisanship going on, and that, that's an important part of what's going on in Washington for us. Bruce Moreland is with us. Uh, he has attended a convention and also a conference. We're talking about the uh, conference, first of all, uh, which is the Citizens Climate Lobby. You know, when you, you go there, you learn about uh, the, the the bills and, and such and where, you, where you're looking to focus on for the next year. But outside of that... Um, when the, when the conferences are over, you go back to the hotel room, you have dinner. Do you, do, do you talk with other people? Are there hot topics uh, outside of the conferences that you, uh, that you engage in? At the CCL uh, conference, one of the hot topics is, it was Amanda Ripley's books uh, about discourse in politics, how our politics is being destroyed by our inability to talk to each other and by our demonization of each other. And so uh, I, Monica Guzman is another big favorite in, in, the, in the organization because she writes about 
a really good book about I never thought of it that way or I never saw it that way. And it's all about being able to open your heart and hear what the other side is saying. And as I said, the the CCL is very laser-focused on that one issue, but the the need to be polite and respectful is at their heart, uh, so much so that when, when, when Braver Angels formed in 2017, I was pushing immediately that we should bridge the two organizations, and I actually created the, helped create the Braver Angels Action Team, which is in CCL, but it dips a toe or two into Braver Angels and brings the Braver Angels uh, bi- bipartisanship methods and counseling into CCL to help with the CCL maintaining their bipartisanship. It's it's a work in progress. Yeah, and that sounds like a real good segue to kind of move into the uh, Braver Angels as well. Thank you for that. You're getting to be a good radio host <laughs> through your time here. Let, let's talk about Braver Angels. Where was that at? And what was the? This was the actual convention, so there was at least maybe some action taken. There was an action taken. Uh, we were, we met in Gettysburg at Gettysburg College and. There was no, it was not lost on the delegates that we were there, you know, right around the same time that the the battle, we were there a couple of days after the battle would have occurred. Uh, it was just as hot <laughs> and wow. humid. It was pretty ugly. But uh, the purpose of that uh, convention was to pass a new platform. So we had some people that looked at the platform and did some tweaking of language and stuff like that. But the rest of the conference we we practiced our skills. We had debates, and a Braver Angels debate is a, a, a thing of beauty because it's done very parliamentary style. Nobody, you don't yell at each other. You're not talking over each other. Uh, the chair is in tight control of who's talking when, and it's really a lot of fun. And, in fact, we're looking for Braver Angels volunteers to form an alliance to help manage those we train on how to be a moderator how to be a a debate chair things like that but we need organizers that will bring the people to these meetings and one of the things uh, we like to do is we like to pick tough topics and have a debate about them i was i was part of a debate on climate change once and it was really interesting because when you're sitting in that parliamentary style debate you actually have to hear what the other side has to say and they know that you're listening they know they're not just competing. Like, remember the McLaughlin group when they talk over each other all the time? <laughs> uh, yes. That, well, that's not going to happen at a Braver Angels debate. The other thing Braver Angels does is it brings in family counseling techniques. Uh, Bill Doherty from the University of Minnesota has taught us and shown us how to run seminars on depolarizing within and on bridging the divide. But uh, one of my favorite sh- sections of the thing was, you know, you got to put on some entertainment too, right? So they brought in a, a skit, uh, not a skit, a debate that they called a deplorable and an elitist walk into a bar. And we had the director of the National Institute of Health, Dr. Collins, and we had Will Wilkinson, Wilkerson, who's a local pundit in Minnesota, actually, does a lot of red talk. And the two of them were up on stage, and they debated it for a while and raised some interesting history that we didn't, that I didn't know. Uh, including the fact that a lot of what the conservatives were complaining about early in the process was actually borne out by a very early uh, objection to the overreaction that the government was expressing over COVID. 
so that was interesting to hear the director explain that to us. That, you know, yeah, we made we may have made mistakes here. We weren't perfect, and so we talked a lot about that. But then the next day, we followed it up with what's called a red blue fishbowl fishbowl, where where you get re- reds on stage and blues on stage, and they talk. They basically talk in their group to each other about why they're there and what they feel. And then they talked to each other as well. It was run by my co-chair, Beth Mallow. And it was spectacularly successful in part because it divided by pro and con on the statement that the government handled the COVID situation well. So there were pros and cons, but there were two blue pros and one red pro. And on the con side, there were two red cons and one blue con, which was a brilliantly set up, staged event where you could see that it's not a monolith. We are not monoliths. Um, I also had a chance to meet uh, see Representative Phillips again, and uh, I've been telling people, you know, after upon close inspection of the Trumpers in the audience, the, the Trump supporters, and uh, and of the Democrats who came to speak to us. Uh, I, none of them have horns. None of them have tails. None of them have cloven hooves. <laughs> They're just people, and and they they as we used to say before the space age, they put their pants on one leg at a time. That, yeah. <laughs> that's an obscure <laughs> reference. One astronaut once oh, noted that he was putting his pants on both legs at a time because <laughs> he was in free fall. Sorry about that. <laughs> but that, it's very interesting, you know. Did uh, in the end, you, it, did it solve things? I mean, you you can have two differences of opinions, uh, but the what the end result uh, is what you're looking for, which is a society that gets along a lot better. Are you seeing that type of thing uh, with uh, with those conversations? Yes, and mm-hmm. let me put it in perspective. Remember, I said we met at Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know? The, the, I went to the field. And the docent said, you realize the first American Civil War occurred in 1776, and it was between the Loyalists and the uh, Patriots. The second Civil War is the one where Gettysburg was the battle. And we talked consciously at the convention that uh, we're trying to prevent the Third War. And I, I can go into that some other time. It's pretty deep. But the point is, yes, we think that I mean, we are not the only organization. There are a, a list of organizations out there that are all dedicated to the proposition that we need to be able to talk without sh- getting so mad that we have to shoot each other. And uh, so I'm, I'm encouraged that we've got a brighter future ahead of us, uh, especially since the Trump supporters are in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so often we, we kind of exclude them, but they're there now. And whether you like the candidate or not, those supporters have strongly held views, and we need to hear them. We need to, that was part of what happened in 2016 was a lot of people felt like they weren't being heard. And since they didn't feel like they were being heard, they revolted against both the Republican Party uh, establishment and against the Democratic Party establishment. So it was very much of a populist uprising. And uh, we're seeing that all over the world, all over the planet. Uh, Italy and Germany, lots of countries are experiencing that. It's getting more and more, uh, uh, if you look at the digital age that we're in, the misinformation that you'll see on social media and through various platforms, um, people can uh, propagate uh, some false information very quickly, very easily, and uh, they can do it in a way that 
makes people angry. Well, that's how you make money. Yeah. You make money by making people angry. Outrage is a business, a business model. And uh, that's just the way it's going to be if we don't figure out how to solve it. That was one of the major cons- uh, conversations there was by an author who talks about misinformation and disinformation. And he showed an interesting uh, thing that the KGB is actually actively targeting our elections. And mm-hmm. anybody that doesn't understand that has is, is got their head in the sand because there was a really cool operation called Operation Infection where they deliberately told the world that the CIA had created HIV AIDS. And that's still a problem in the third world because that hasn't been cleared out of the system yet. Uh, there was another case where they they gave money to both sides and lined up a bunch of uh, Muslims on one side of the road and a bunch of, you know, like uh, Proud Boys on the other side ready to have a big fight. Well, there wasn't an event until these two were each told that the other were going to be there and they had to go stop it. So, And that was a KGB disinformation action. Wow. Bruce, we could go on for a while. We could be, Maybe we can do a whole public policy <laughs> show on this, but we're out of time. We have to have uh, Rich in here again okay. uh, with uh, some local news headlines. But I'll give you uh, the last word. Is there anything about either of those conventions that uh, you, you know, you'd like uh, to, to have stick with people? Um, going to the Holocaust Museum during the CCL convention and then being at the battlefield were very emotional things for me. And I would highly recommend that you learn more about those events because those are the events that will inform how you feel about some of the anger and angst that you're being asked to perform under. Mm-hmm. So that would be my conclusion. Wow. Learn. Hmm. Good stuff. Bruce, thank you so much for coming in. Much appreciated. Always a pleasure seeing you. And we'll see you again with uh, public policy this week, probably in the not-too-distant future. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. All right. <laughs> Are you going to be in here live? Going to be in here with a Zoom connection. We're going to be talking about uh, social media. Social media. All right. A big deal. All right. I'm looking forward to it already. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in the morning. Thank you. Uh, Bruce Moreland, once again, on 95.1 The One.